1: We're back with another episode of the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here at hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Uh, Thursday, March the 11th, 2021, 9.45 a.m. Um, a year since the world stopped, Scott. I remember this day. Mm-hmm. It's surreal being in that Indianapolis hotel room and just kind of monitoring, you know, people arriving at uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse and you know people saying, "Ah, oh, this is you know, teams are on the court," and then boom, just that was it. And then there was the long drive home and mm-hmm. um, thinking about what was next, and then everything just quickly shut down. And then here we are again, and. Luckily, there is a Big Ten tournament
0: this year. Yeah, I mean, I think we've learned a lot in the last year. We didn't know really anything about what this was going to mean. I mean, it, it's certainly been deadly and horrific, and on a lot of levels. But we didn't know if this was going to be. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized Sparkle was behind you. Did you get yeah. that?
1: Did you yes. get
0: that sent to you? No, I, I took it the last night at, at
1: Carp Rock Arena. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, listeners, that that can't see this uh, Zoom right now. Um, maybe yeah. I'll cut this out as part of the Twitter thing. But <laughs> I think Scott did that to freak me out, and I don't have a lot of coffee in me yet. And uh, <laughs> it just kind of popped in there. I'm sorry to interrupt, though. Continue yeah. with your thought on the pandemic. The, the, the segue from the pandemic. And, Sparkle, and Sparkle being part a story, a sidebar to it. Yes. The- yes there's
0: a reason why sparkle attended all the home games this year but uh no that you know just to go back i mean i think that the the wow moment of all wow moments was when rudy gobert tested positive and then the nba game shut down in the middle of it you know uh that wednesday night which you know you mentioned being in the indianapolis uh hotel room, and then that Thursday morning, game, teams were starting to get ready to play at the Big Ten tournament, and boom, all of it shut down, and, and uh, you know, the record skipped and stopped for a good two-plus months, three sure. months, probably, that we really didn't know what was going on. I mean, everything was shut down, um, and it was, it was surreal and freaky and scary, and we didn't know, again, the seriousness of Of COVID-19. I mean, we knew that people were dying of it, and they got it, but we didn't know if that would kill everybody, you know, like just like the Black Death of the Middle Ages, or if this was going to be a, you know, we just didn't know. And so I think we've learned over the last year that we can live with this, and we're gradually getting to the point where we can conquer it, but it's still a lingering issue. And um, I guess I'm just glad that we're able to kind of have sports, you know, in the aftermath from really the baseball season onward. It's made it all uh,
1: uh, survivable for all but 500,000 of us. And interestingly enough, Scott, as you mentioned, I mean, these events, women's basketball right now at the Big Ten tournament, men's start tomorrow wrestling at the NCAA next week in a city where there was an issue last week with Northern Iowa men's basketball and the protocols in St. Louis and, you know, the Missouri Valley not doing its homework on that and causing a, you know, uh, you know a controversy, for lack of a better term, there on how that was handled. Um, and, and Ben Jacobson and the Panthers are still, you know, Stinging from from getting shut down there to this morning, we we learned that Duke basketball is not going to play in the ACC tournament because they've got issues. We're far from the finish line here. These things are planned here that Iowa plays Wisconsin, well, Wisconsin or Penn State tomorrow, um, you know, and that the women play Rutgers tonight, and that the men are going, you know, men's wrestling is going to St. Louis, and Iowa baseball is going, and softball, and all these things, and tracks getting going. We're still in the process of getting vaccinated now so we're not out of the woods and people I think are feeling comfortable with that and, and more things are being played and, and I think people have gotten used to the protocols and how to try to do their best to stay safe but the virus has a mind of its own if it, it, you know it, it, you, you hope for the best but you, it's still unpredictable
0: Yeah, I mean, how it mutates could impact, you know, I'm just grateful that most of the uh, vaccinations are kind of taking care of that mutations and stuff. So, um, I mean, we all, all of us are hopeful that this thing, you know, the vaccination takes care of it, or, you know, those of us who get vaccinated anyway. And, And if that can be the case by Memorial Day, that we're all in that shape and we can get somewhat of a normal summer and a traditional normal fall where all the kids are in school sports are being played we can kind of get back to real world you know real life then we also need to apply some of the lessons we learned and you know one of which is you know it's that stayed with me is 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 masks where you don't you know in years past i never would have wore a mask but you know, how many times on press row would you look over and somebody's just hacking up a lung and you're like, ah, damn, I'm going to get sick too, or on a plane. And then next thing you know, four or five days later, you got, you know, you're sweating and your eyes are puffy and you're coughing Mm -hmm. and you're like, dang it. Well, now I understand that, you know what, wear a mask. If you hear, you know, somebody eight feet away, coughing their lungs out, then then wear a mask you know and it's not going to be abnormal or or whatever and and I think you know hopefully we've we've learned that but otherwise I'm just I guess I'm grateful that we were able to kind of get to this point and we should all be thankful that enough people did the right thing to where it looks like you know we're going to get a completion to this pretty important season for a lot of sports
1: yeah our our two oldest kids Went back to in-person learning today for the first time uh, since this time last year, like we talked about. Wow. uh, A little apprehension there. It's been a year since they've been in the schools, but I think they feel like it's better for them. And I I do, too, to to be in person. And, um, you know, the teachers have been vaccinated and, you know, we're we're moving in that direction. But still some apprehension there for them going back. But uh, the in-person learning, I think it's uh, important for them. Uh, rather than doing the online stuff. Our youngest is doing okay, so she's staying online. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, we hope, Scott, by the fall, that there are people back in Kinnick Stadium. You know, maybe there's a kid's day yeah. t- to some degree. Um, you know, they play the full football schedule, and we get back to some semblance of what normal used to be. Um, and I think we're moving in that direction. And – uh you know, just to kind of to segue in um, to our discussion on the Big Ten tournament, um, as, as I said a few minutes ago, um, Penn State survived Nebraska last night. I think Penn State was down 15 in the first half, came back, uh, beat Nebraska, uh, and uh, the Nittany Lions will get Wisconsin this, this evening, Thursday, March the 11th, with the winner playing the – Third-seeded Iowa Hawkeyes tomorrow night um, at approximately eight PM. Yeah, uh, in the quarterfinals with Iowa sitting well positioned, you would think to make the Big Ten tournament semifinals for the first time in fifteen years.
0: <laughs> Good luck. No. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, I, I mean, just think about that. Yeah. I, mean, I know. It's crazy. My son was one. He's a sophomore <laughs> in high school now. I wasn't even living in Iowa City when
0: that happened. <laughs> I was in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, and I what I do remember about that championship game where they beat Ohio State was there was a tornado in central Missouri between Columbia and Kansas City <laughs> in a small, small town. And uh, the CBS affiliate in – uh, Kansas City went live to that, you know, block by block, and there <laughs> oh. it is. And so, you know, Kansas City is not a primary market for uh, the Big Ten or, or sure. Iowa, and, and uh, it received 500 calls from Iowa fans <laughs> complaining about, uh, you know, not being able to watch it. And um, then, of course, Iowa got bounced, uh, you know, six days later. And it's just uh, – but you think about it, just to be able to reach that point, and how many bad losses. I mean, I really think they've had the, the, most, the, most, the highest collection of bad losses in this tournament of any team in the Big Ten. I mean, the years where they were the five seed or the six seed, they get bounced by a, a 12 or an 11, and it's just, um, you know, now that they get to that point. But, you know, I think Wisconsin and Penn State are both capable of, of giving them a very good game. No question. Both have. Yeah. And they're both hard nosed, tough teams. And if, you know, Wisconsin obviously was pretty sore the other day, losing to Iowa uh, by four points at at, uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena. So I would expect if it's Wisconsin, they will provide a, a. really strong effort to Iowa and and Iowa's going to have to be prepared for that and how Joe Wieskamp responds from his ankle injury and and how how the team responds from a toughness standpoint mentally tough you know at different stages of the game is going to impact whether they play on Saturday
1: yeah and I mean obviously Joe Wieskamp is the you know the biggest concern right now because he hasn't found his way back to the court yet, at least as of last time we talked to Fran, which yeah. was Tuesday. But CJ Frederick is still dealing with plantar fasciitis. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't just dismiss that either. I mean, if you watch him during a game, there are times where he's limping on the court. I mean, he's fighting through it, but he, you just, you don't know what that injury, he could wake up tomorrow and just, you know, it be so irritated that it's too, too painful for him to play. So, where are you, Scott, in the – I know our, our colleague um, Chad Leistico from The Register wrote about this, and obviously I, I, we've all talked about it and thought about, you know, I was likely, no matter what happens tomorrow night, a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. Probably. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, that's out of your control. But where where are you at in terms of playing Joe camp? whatever percentage he's at and I just it's a it's a tough decision for Fran and I think for Joe as well because as much as you would like to win the Big Ten tournament, the whether or not this is a successful season is going to be based on whether or not this team can make it to at least to the Sweet 16.
0: I think if he can play and he doesn't hurt himself any longer, then I think you let it happen. Um, I think it's it's strange because whether it's me right after that happened I'm like rest until the NZ tournament don't right. even risk it um, but in former players and current players I've talked to of all you know in interviews and whatever have all said hey you know he can play let him play and if they and if he feels that way and it's not going to be a risk for even an, an an accidental turn then i guess you go ahead and let him try it i, I just i'm with you with The Big Ten tournament is important. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's just something to take lightly, but I also don't think it's something to sell out for when you know what next week is. And next week is the legacy of this team, this program. Fran McCaffrey's career as a coach, Luca Garza's career, Jordan Bohannon's career. All of that is at stake with what happens starting next weekend Uh, because if they're around a 32 flame out, and lose to a seven seed, it's the most disappointing season since we've covered this program. And in fact, my guess, my observation is it's the most disappointing season in Iowa sports history, including football, including any other sport, because they were a a preseason top five team. And if they can't get to the minimum the Sweet 16, then it's crushing. And so I think you do – if Joe cannot really play, then hold him off. You know, it, even beating Wisconsin for a third time, which you really want to do because you hate him, or Illinois on Saturday, which you really hate him, getting a number one is not more important than keeping those guys healthy for the NCAA
1: tournament. Just a side note here, Scott. I'd like your opinion on this, and we don't have to spend a ton of time, and we can veer back into the Iowa discussion, but I, I was pretty surprised that Greg Gard. That nothing happened with that. after. I mean, you follow the Big Ten as close as anybody and just kind of what repercussions are for things that are said publicly. Um, that was He was pretty straightforward and had conviction in accusing officials of having it out for one of his players. That's a heavy charge, man, and the Big Ten has not addressed it. Yeah this this Big 10 is it's been a real
0: question mark all along you know really since midsummer last year for football of course but in this case too this is not something Jim Delaney would sit on he would force Rick Boyages or whoever to come forward publicly and say something or the the league would say would admonish him would come forth with a statement that said you know and, and I don't know about a fine but Certainly, there would be something from the league. They would not let this go, and so to see this the way he spoke about it, I thought, you know okay, he's frustrated, but that is a matter that's a That's something Fran McCaffrey gets fined for so oh, yeah. maybe there maybe there's a double standard on that regard as much as anything because um you know Fran went off you know several different times you know, and it's certainly with the uh um, with Adam Woodbury, you know, remember some of that? Um, yep. And uh, so I think the league is neglectful and not at least saying something publicly to either dispel, discredit, or just to debate the situation with Great Guard.
1: Yeah, and he trying to make Brad Davidson out as being a victim is laughable. In my mind, and I and I do think the kid probably gets a little bit more than he deserves in terms of uh, you know public scrutiny, um, but he brings that on by the way he plays. And I admire him. He maximizes the talent he's, you know, the natural talent, but he also goes over the edge. I'm not saying it's Grayson Allen over the top, but there's enough. I mean, there's enough examples. I mean, he hit Jordan Bohannon in the bag last year, and mm-hmm. You know, that was that was ridiculous. And then the play with Keegan Murray was a dirty play. Yeah. I, I, there's no way in my mind, based on history, that that was an accident. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. And he right. tries to take advantage and play right at the edge of the rule as much as he can. So I think that – I thought that was – I thought there was a way that, that Greg Gard could have addressed that without coming off the way he did. To me, it fell on deaf ears because of the way he approached it. Mm-hmm.
0: I I mean, Brad Davison is the type of player, if he was on your team, you would love him and everybody Clark. would hate him. Yeah, right. There's just so <laughs> many – yeah, exactly. There's so many players that fit that. Um, Connor McCaffrey is in that realm, not with agree. the way he plays. Yeah. But other teams hate his guts because of – the way he is, and and good, you know, that's kind of what makes it a fun sport. But you know, Davison does it on the floor. I mean, yeah, remember the the hook and and hold last year? It was on Connor, you know, where he reached up and and slid around and and then got called for it. And oh, it was, um, so it was Connor, not Bohanna. Yeah, did. yeah, but I think I, it wouldn't surprise me if he hit Bohanna. <laughs> you know? I would you definitely know. wear some protection if I was yeah. playing against Wisconsin. Yeah right exactly and and you shouldn't have to in basketball football's a different animal yeah. <laughs> you know i think this is a but this is an issue and how the big 10 handles this you've got to handle it consistently right. if you're going to say that one coach cannot complain about the officiating then another coach cannot complain about the officiating and because it was public and the manner that he did it it can't be just a closed you know closed off discussion or argument cuz You know, now I remember there were, you know, situations like with Fran, the uh, Teddy V game, you know, in the 2013, God, I'm dating myself, eight years ago, (laughs) can you believe that crap? Um, Big Ten quarterfinal on that Friday night against Michigan State, and Iowa got screwed. That was the one game, if I'll say this officiating-wise, where the officiating screwed Iowa, and Fran was – beside himself because it cost him and it cost him the NCAA tournament birth that year. Yep. And he, uh, he and Boyaj just went at it, but Fran to his credit, it was very difficult for him not to say anything, but he did in that press conference afterwards. So I think that's uh, for guard to say that he needs to have some sort of reprimand, you know, I'm not suggesting a fine, but I'm just saying that you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so So
1: don't let him do it. Public warning, something like that. You know, yeah. if this happens again, you know, get it out there once. I wonder, and we'll, we can move on from this, but I wonder how much pull Barry Alvarez has in something like this. Barry seems to be, among ADs in this conference, he seems to have a little bit more pull than most. Well, when he walks in the room, people notice. Yeah, and he's not wearing socks
0: yeah right I mean he's he's walking he's walking in like his, uh, he's
1: not wearing swa- socks and he is wearing a sweater vest yeah exactly
0: and that's he a kinda, tough look
1: to pull off yeah I wouldn't attempt that well he's a hall of
0: famer so <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> he could do it uh, yeah. I'm not doing that either and uh, you know I'd love to see him in like a cardigan but that won't happen <laughs> but uh you know Barry is uh he he's got swagger he's got fees full of it, and he can walk in the room and everybody knows he's there and he's got pull and uh, and he's earned it over the years and it drives people crazy but it's true now I don't know in this case if you know Kevin Warren may have called him and I, I'm only speculating on this. I really don't know no I'm
1: on the same flight of thinking as you though that there was a call made and it was handled behind the scenes, yeah, so you know
0: there there are you know and this this tends to happen what we've seen in college media uh that always kind of drives me nuts is a lot of the people who cover a program circle the wagons behind the around the program it happens in Iowa too immensely but yep. to see a few of the reporters kind of circle it like Brad Davidson didn't do anything wrong and guard was right and I'm like ah, oh, give me a break you know, be a little bit more objective here. You just don't do that. You know, I don't think we do that when it comes to, you know, uh, Fran. I know I don't, you know, know. Uh, but I also will give him, I I try to divorce myself when, you know, he does say something that's controversial and, but to some people, but it's not to me that I'll say, you know what? I don't think it was that bad. I've been there when it has been, but this isn't one of them. Yeah. But I don't see that out of the Wisconsin, uh, at least, you know, a couple of Wisconsin reporters who should know better, frankly.
1: That seemed to be, um, part of the storyline Sunday, Scott, with the Wisconsin game. Um, you know, obviously Iowa won that game and secured the third seed and finished on a high note. Um, not not a lot of talk now about the Fran fade. I've noticed. I don't know where those people went, but hopefully back under the rock. Um, but then Monday, we we, you know, we had a little bit of a respite from drama, and then Monday <laughs> it came back again. Yeah. Um, somebody reached out to uh, Devin Marble on Twitter, uh, and he expressed his disappointment um, with the Iowa Athletic Department, and uh, I'm sure. People who are listening to this podcast know kind of the background here and what's going on, so we can kind of move forward and discuss and share our thoughts on this. Basically, for me, very unfortunate um, that it came to this. Um, I know in talking to you and Tom Caker, um we all kind of had a similar approach back when Luca was Luca Garza was close to breaking Devin Marble's father's Roy Marble's record to reach out to Devin. And kind of, you know, get his thoughts on that. And he didn't respond to any of us. And then, you know, the the Sunday when Luca broke the record against Penn State, they had a tribute with uh, an array of former Iowa players congratulating Luca, And Devin was absent from that. And it was a a notable omission. Yeah. Um, You know, I think we all kind of looked at it and said, that's interesting. You know, Devin and, and Fran were close. I think they still are close and and have a mutual respect for each other. Um, but there's been, this is, this isn't something that's just come around. This is years of this festering, Scott. And, uh, again, it's a situation that was not handled well by this athletic department. (laughs) Again, another PR nightmare. Um, you talked with, um, Gary Barda back in 2015 had a story in the Gazette about him saying we're not going to retire any more numbers. I kind of give him a mulligan on that by not. He should have never gone that far, knowing the possibility of what we've seen with Megan Gustafson and Luca Garza. But then he also included that they were going to honor former players that didn't have numbers. And jerseys, we can get into the differentiation between those things as well. But they were going to honor them with an area in Carver Hawkeye Arena that, you know, like a Hall of Fame display or something where they're recognized for their achievements six years ago and nothing has happened in that regard either. So there are a couple layers to this. My overarching thought on this, Scott, is that it, you know it's just it was it could have been handled better. But we've seen situations that haven't been handled well in this athletic department for years, so it shouldn't surprise anybody. So that's kind of where I'm at on it. And it's unfortunate because it's another former player and their family now that are, for lack of a better term, estranged from the University of Iowa. It sucks, and. The thing that sucks is
0: this one was we saw this coming or at least in 2015 this was a big freaking issue and I wrote you know I don't write a lot of basketball but I wrote extensively about this topic in particular because I remember in 2015 Roy was dying of cancer and everybody knew it and you saw it that you know that day but um, It was his last chance to get an honor. And there was a lot of people who wanted him to have his jersey retired or his number retired. Some sort of permanence within the program that his records have shown. Now, we also know Roy has had, he has an arrest record. He has, he's not spotless. His son is way better than he is when it comes to that kind of stuff. So whether there was pause over that twenty-plus year period, um, yeah, that's understandable. However, if you you you're already they planned to honor him, so they did. They brought him out at halftime. They didn't have to do that, frankly, because he was already, uh, you know, he already had legal issues. Mm -hmm. So if they were paused about him and celebrating him. It was washed away by by actually bringing them out and framing a jersey and giving it to them. But then they didn't do anything beyond that. And then I went through the history. I read through every single situation as to why those jerseys were retired in the past or in B.J. Armstrong's case, retired, but kind of retired and then taken out of circulation for 20 years and then returned. And three players well, five, first of all, the, the Fab Five of the 50s all had their jerseys retired after their multiple Final Four appearances. Which, looking back, is kind of dumb, frankly. But and, but then they also had two uh, first-team All-Americans before that who didn't have their jerseys retired, and Chuck Darling and Murray Weir. So they're kind of hanging out there. Then Don Nelson, who was the then the all-time leading scorer, didn't have his retire. But on Ronnie Lester's, Senior night, they retired as number 12. On Greg Stokes, who broke Lester's scoring record, they retired his. They didn't do it with Marble, but then they did do it with Garza. With BJ Armstrong, they bring him back for a celebration, you know. Of course, you know, through the Bulls reign of excellence, the first reign of excellence, um, and they bring him back, and then all of a sudden, boom you know retire your jersey even though kevin smith was still wearing it at the time then they took it out for 20 years before mike gazelle shows up and to give him number 10 so this is the only thing consistent about this is the inconsistency of it and so for Barda in 15 to talk about criteria or now to say well he didn't meet the criteria well what was the criteria the, the criteria was never consistent to begin with it wasn't for All-Americans because the two previous All-Americans before Luca didn't get it. It wasn't for graduation necessarily because, I mean, Ronnie Lester hadn't graduated by that point. Greg Stokes hadn't graduated at that point. Luca still hasn't graduated by this point, I don't think. Um, so what are the requirements? What are What's the criteria? Why is it so up and down? And then for him to say that in 2015, that we're not going to do this. Yes, he's not. Nostradamus and can't predict
1: two of the greatest athletes in school history to come through the pike. Well, don't you Five have so- to prepare for that too, Scott? In your yes. mind, as as an athletic director, that says, "Hey, we could have just, you know, a national player of the year come along, and then boom, there's one on in the women and the men." Exactly. Who knew that Luca? You know, I mean, Luca
0: Garza, Megan Gustafson. I mean, they've had great players. Why can't somebody be great? Why can't in two years there be a Heisman Trophy winner at Iowa? Right, you know, man, you know yeah. it could happen. So you got to prepare for that. You can't say never, and you can't say always. And and so to to go back to this to the Roy Marble situation, it was half half-assed, you know, half-hearted, whatever you want to call it. All right, let's just celebrate him. And everybody kind of knew it. And going back through the comments made by former players, and at that time, Aaron White, Matt Gatons, Devin, they were all pretty upset by that. And a lot of other players were too. That, you know, whether it was casual conversations or whatever, they thought, hey, Roy deserves it. Roy's dying. It's not just a, hey, let's bring him out and do this. He was dying of cancer and he died six months later. So now you have a PR disaster because you never fixed it. You never made it right in the six years that you had to. So now you have an estrangement, as you said, between, you know, two of the seven highest scores in in Big Ten history are the Marbles and, or I mean, not Big Ten, Iowa history. And, and you can't, uh, and now it's going to take a full court press to make this right
1: yeah and it's unfortunate that it happened at this time, too, because, as we talked about earlier, a team that should be celebrated for what it did this regular season. you talked about it top five preseason ranking, finished the regular season, top five. It met the hype. This is a special season, mm-hmm. and then they had to deal with this um, you know during the week leading up into the postseason, and it was avoidable. I think that's mm-hmm. the word it, it was avoidable with due diligence that again was not done by this athletic department it's disappointing you wonder when they finally figure it out
0: um it'll be somewhere <laughs> it'll be with maybe new people yeah. um really, you know because yes in the six years since then and yeah Barda said well we're going to celebrate roy in this special area well you know You can't blame COVID for this because it's only been a year for COVID. You had a five-year block where you could have figured something out. I mean, you have a Hall of Fame two and a half miles away or whatever, which is ridiculous in its own right, and that was stupid in the past life. But, uh, you know, I I brought this up several times, that Iowa has done a really poor job of celebrating its basketball heritage and history, and uh, this is just another case of that because when you go back through – Iowa's history Don Nelson the NBA's winningest coach played at Iowa and how many people really know that some we do but not everybody Um, or that the 1970 team still holds the Big Ten record for most for average points per game and it won't be ever broken 20 102.9 it hasn't even been approached by 10 points in 50 years Mm -hmm. um to you know downtown Freddie Brown and, and and John Johnson leading the supersonics to the 1979 NBA title. Nobody knows that people do know about Lester, but you know, even guys that are kind of in our wheelhouse, Andre Woolridge, Ryan Bowen, um, you know, people know settles, you know, I mean, it's kind of like in this category of, you know, you either know them because they're local or you don't know them at all. And they need to do a much better job of engagement, of of solidifying the brand. To me, the smartest way to go about this is to build a ring of honor. And I have a, a charter class of say 20 basketball players and retire jerseys, not numbers, but jerseys for everybody in that ring of honor. And then every year bring one, uh, add one more player. And you could do that. I mean, if you didn't say like the first Saturday in February and you had a charter class of 20 how and you had highlights of Greg Stokes, Michael Payne, you know, Bobby Hanson, you know, I mean, just all these players, you could celebrate what Iowa basketball is, was, and always will be. And I think that's really important. Then, okay, two years down the road you bring in Jared Utah or you bring in, um, you know, Ryan Bowen, you know, just, add to that, add to that legacy. Cause retiring jerseys really doesn't matter. I mean, if you're going to keep the number in circulation, and I think that's one way to tie this all together, but instead they're going to go the bureaucratic way. They're going to form a committee and study it and figure it out. And then, well, we don't have the money to do that. Now you can, you can scrape off some space and do it. You know, it doesn't take much. So I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I've talked too much about this topic.
1: No, you haven't. I think it's appropriate. And it was a, you know, I mean, Top, big topic of conversation this week, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the ideas that we've thrown out in this podcast and previous podcasts about not having to retire a number, like you just said, and just retire the jersey. Just honor the person, throw the jersey up in the rafters, put spotlights on it. Check out – for people that don't know, look at what North Carolina did. The The history of North Carolina basketball, if you were – were to retire numbers at North Carolina, you'd have people wearing like 88, 75, (laughs) 99, you know, honor Gretzky. Um, (laughs) They have a very few, like Jordan. I, I don't know who exactly are the retired numbers, but they have just a nice display at the top of the Dean Dome with the jerseys, with spotlights on there. So when people come in, they see those jerseys, they think back to the history. Of the program, they, it celebrates the history. You could do it for men's basketball at Iowa. You could do it for women's basketball at Iowa. You could do it for wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have something that looks like a singlet on a on a you know a banner or a board. Put it up there. The history of Iowa wrestling is is better than, is, is exceeds any other wrestling program in the country. Celebrate it. You hardly see any of that stuff in Clark- Iowa. Right. Clark- yeah, I mean they have like a.
0: It's not even a trophy case or whatever. They have like some sort of over in the corner by uh, the, the, the concession stand. Oh, yeah, here's a, here's a sign, you know. And it's, it's like, what are you doing here? You know, be who you are. Go, fans want to beat on their chest and say we're the greatest. And here's a reason why. I mean, wrestling. One of the great legacy programs in, in, the, in sports history is the University of Iowa. And not only just under Dan Gable, but right now, because Spencer Lee might be the greatest wrestler in Iowa history. Uh, continue make opponents a little bit intimidated let their fans get excited about it I mean fans love history football has been better than the than the rest I mean because every and Kirk to his credit (laughs) I mean the 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 honorary captain part of things is a great way to, to to build that you know every week they have a home game and it's like Bob Sanders is coming back. Oh, you know, then everybody gets excited. Bob Sanders is coming back and they go out to midfield and and that's the way to do it, you know. And then the wall of honor has really really stringent standards, but only and only 10 players have met it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But basketball is just all over the place and then there's hey, today, you know, we you know, there's just it's really the only the only people that show up are the ones who are local and and they need to do a again a better job of inviting back the past you know allowing you know somebody like you rick brown me whatever hey i want to write about the you know the the greatest basketball player in iowa history ronnie lester and he comes back with Dolson. that's great but do that for a lot more people besides them you know
1: yeah, I mean, this is a day and age of, you know, people being able to connect around the world on social media. So it doesn't even have to be somebody that's sitting in Carver Hawkeye Arena to feel this, to, to, you know, embrace the history. You have a fan, the social media sites for University of Iowa show up, at a given day when there's a ceremony, they take pictures of it, they take pictures of the rafters with the jerseys up there. It's shared on social media. Somebody in Germany or Ireland or wherever yeah. see that. I mean, and they all can participate and be involved and feel like they're part of that. It's just a missed opportunity. It's a huge yeah. missed opportunity. And the connections with the past. Yeah, it's
0: so so important. I mean, why hasn't there been a a downtown Freddie Brown Day? You know, come back, show the highlights of 102.3 points per game. You know, uh, now they they what they've tried to do a few times in the past is celebrate those teams at football games, but I don't see that connection very well. They say, well, look, there's a bigger audience. There's 70,000 people there. They can kind of do that. I understand, but but basketball is intimate and you need to promote basketball and make basketball relevant in its own right. Because football, you could have nothing and football matters. You know, basketball needs that connection a little bit more, you know? And, uh, and so to me, that that's what they need to do a lot more often, bring back some of those guys and, you know god bless him but you know you know Jess settles his his fan, you know great friend of mine but he doesn't need to be one of those guys because he's always visible you need to bring back the ones who aren't and the ones who people don't really know about um and have people talk about him ac earl lives locally people don't know that hey this guy was what third in points scored in iowa history or second or third for a long time and then um uh, you know, was a first-round draft pick of the Boston Celtics. That doesn't get brought up very often, unless somebody writes a story. And lately,
1: it's been about what his daughter. So, yeah, you know, that you can, it, it also s- celebrates diversity. Yeah, something that you're trying to um, embrace and promote on on your campus and on your athletic department mm-hmm. um, would be a good idea, I think, to do that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So. You know, you can do it for men's basketball, women's basketball, different days. And then I think every year, you know, I was just thinking about this, just the Fran years. Yep. You know, there's, there's probably seven or eight players that you could say legitimately could be, if not ring of honor types, that they could be additions at some point. I mean, Garza, of course, is at the top of the list, but mm-hmm. Aaron White's probably at the top 20 of all time. You can make the case Utah is because he was a second-team All-American. Uh, the guys now Bohannon and, and Wieskamp and Roy Mar- Devin Marble, uh, Peter Jock was a Big Ten's all you know leading scorer. Uh, you know, he, even a guy like Jared Cole, who mm-hmm. really it sucks for him the era that he was in, but you know was a, a glue guy, is as great of a captain as they've ever had. So I think you know Matt Gatons. So there's just there's a lot of great players just in that group, let alone a, a Jeff Horner and a Greg Bruner and Adam Holuska. <laughs> you know, a, a, maybe one you're not <laughs> but in that era. Uh, you know, just, but yeah, there's just, there's so much there that could be and should be celebrated that they've just, for whatever reason, ignored.
1: Yeah. And you know, like we talked about wrestling is, is something too, that I think, you know, is long overdue. Um, and one person that I think you put in the Luca Garza category, and I would submit above Luka Garza just in terms of where he is in the pantheon of his sport, Spencer Lee um, announced this morning, Scott, that he would be back for a fifth season at Iowa. Um, I I think that was somewhat expected because he has a chance provided – he stays healthy and wins a third national championship um, later this month could go and be one of the rare four-time champions next year. And uh, I'm not sure that people fully appreciate what they have here as Iowa fans because wrestling doesn't have the, um, you know, the following that, that, Football and men's basketball do those are the revenue sports they pay the bills we get that but wrestling at Iowa is like, you know, it's, it's just different. It's, it's different than anywhere else in the country. Um, and this kid has a chance to be the best there ever
0: was. Yeah. It was a fun exchange with him that I had this morning. Asking him about that, and I just said, "Hey, by the way, the NCAA is going to allow you an extra year of eligibility. Um, have you given any thought to coming back next year?" And he just said, "Well, what do you think?" <laughs> and, I, and I just said, "Well, it doesn't matter what I think. Well, you know, what are you planning to do?" And he's like, "I'm coming back. I'm, you know, after we win the national title next week, I want to win it again next year. You know, so and there was no hesitation. There was, you know, it was just kind of. He goes, uh, he goes, I." You know, want to be a four four year champion, but or four time champion, but I have to be a three year champion first. So um, he's all in, and I guess uh, you know, and, and so that that made things pretty interesting. And then, of course, with uh, I guess Jaden Ironman is going to come back, and why wouldn't he? You know, he didn't get a chance to wrestle at Iowa in front of fifteen thousand fans, and that's that's something you really want. So uh, Iowa's going to come right back and you know, we've, I think the Iowa fan base has been privileged to see the athletes that we've seen over the last handful of years. And certainly, you know, I'll go back to, to Jake Adams in uh, baseball and the, the incredible amount of home runs he hit to lead Iowa to the NCAA tournament to, to Megan Gustafson, Gustafson who is arguably the greatest player in Iowa history. Um, Luca Garza, you could say the same thing for Iowa history. Football players, Tristan Wirfs and, you know, some of the others. But Spencer Lee is the most dominant wrestler I've ever seen. And if you – and the others you can make you – you know, would somebody say Luca Garza is the greatest basketball player in, in basketball history? No. But you might say that about Spencer Lee in wrestling. And he's still got it, you know, two weeks after uh, the NCAA wrestling tournament, he's going to be wrestling for the Olympics in Texas. So uh, we've got – it's been a joy and a privilege to watch these types of athletes compete year in and year out.
1: Yeah, and it's not just – as Scott was saying, it's not just that Spencer Lee is winning. It's the fashion in which he wins is just so dominating. And – it's almost like you never in sports, you never say, you know, this guy's unbeatable, but if there's anything close to that, Mm -hmm. he's it. I mean, I I don't know, you know, there's always somebody better that comes along. Um, And as we talked about, you never want to say uh, always, (laughs) never, you know, you want, you don't want to say those definitive words, but, as you watch him and what he did at Big Tens last week, um, you know, and Iowa ran away with the Big Ten championship again for the second year in a row and crowned four uh, Big Ten champions in in Lee, Ironman, Marinelli, Kemmerer, um, those guys all number one seeds going into the NCAA tournament. Um, You know, it's – this wrestling program is right there, you know, we wondered if it would get back and and knock mighty Penn state off the top of the mountain. It's there. It didn't get a chance to do it last year, unfortunately, as we talked about because of the pandemic, but I think it takes its rightful place back this month and then looks really good moving forward too. Yeah. And they've
0: done a, they've done a really interesting job of, of going after transfers in the last handful of years to really wrestlers from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Kemmerer And, uh, you know, uh, you look at, yeah, who they've got Michael Kemmerer. Of course, Spencer Lee, Spencer Lee was the most critical recruit you could say in, in, you know, in the history of wrestling for them, because he changed the fortunes because it was a Penn state world and Iowa hated living in it and they knew they were in it. But, you know the, the probably the three most dominant wrestlers I've seen over the last 25 years, and I know somebody will correct me and set, suggest somebody else, but that just when they walked on the mat, they had a different attitude and they really didn't relent. Lincoln McIlravey was that way about 25 years ago, uh, Brent Metcalf was about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, and Spencer Lee. And it's just they walk out there, it's not just a question of will they win. It's how much do they dominate the competition, and and you look at Spencer Lee now. I mean, he's seven and zero with five pins and, and two tech falls. Nobody's went the distance with him. Um, that's that's incredible. You know, last week I was watching the championship match against that Purdue kid, and uh, and all of a sudden it was like, oh wow, he got taken down early, and I'm like, what's going on here? Oh, but by the middle of the second period, it was twenty one to three, and it was tech fall. So.
1: That was the first takedown. He's, he's
0: younger yeah. this year too, so right. So it's he's just a machine, and it's been really interesting to watch. So yeah, we'll we'll know more, <laughs> you know what what happens next week. But I just, I, you know, I, I'm fascinated. I asked him about the Olympics, and I said, so is there anybody at the uh, trials that you're going to watch a little more closely than normal? Um, and he goes. Tell me what you mean. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like fix from o- Oklahoma state. Cause they're in the same weight class. There are different weight classes at nationals, but they will be in the same one for the Olympic trials. And he's like, Nope, I'm just, I'm just worried about myself. And if I need to watch, if I need to worry about him, I'll worry about him when i wrestle him in Texas. So
1: I thought it was interesting. Scott is when he said that he doesn't scout opponents and doesn't watch film on opponents. Um, I'd like, to speak to your, your last comment there, that he focuses on himself, you know, I, to me, that was surprising. Not, you know, in hindsight, now that I think about it, I mean, as long as he's doing what he needs to do, there's really no need to know what the other guy's doing, because <laughs> whatever the other guy's doing isn't good enough. But uh, I, I found that interesting that he, he, takes, he focuses all his time on him. And, and not scouting. I, could you imagine that in basketball? Eh, we don't really need to scout Wisconsin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, because the teams are too even. You know, and he goes out there, and it's you know the thing is he's wrestled a lot of these guys before, so right. he knows their strengths and weaknesses. Right. And and I'm sure you know whether it's Terry Brands primarily, he's the one that deals with him the most. That Terry knows, and Terry mm-hmm. watches, and maybe Terry tells him, and okay, this guy likes to do this. Be careful, but. You know, and it could be re- bravado a little bit, too. I mean, he's out there. Hey, I don't need to worry about them. I worry about me. And and he is right, because if he's at a high level, nobody's beating him. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. You know, right. uh, maybe at the Olympic level, I don't know. But, I mean, he's just uh, – it, it's just fascinating. I mean, like last week, my you know, my wife's not a sports fan at all you know, but she likes and appreciates great athletes and other than gymnasts, which she watches gymnastics every day. Correct? <laughs> um, and she, uh, and she's, like, excited every time he wrestles. And then, like, what was it, last week where she went in the kitchen, came back, and he already pinned the guy. because That like was 24. semifinals, right? Yeah. It was, like, <laughs> 24 seconds. So I was like, I what? 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 The match is over? So she. So then she, you know, wanted to look it up on Twitter and found the, the video <laughs> of it, You know, just like, what the hell? Um, so that's just – that you just almost have to appreciate that.
1: Yeah, and I, I tweeted this out earlier this week, and uh, I, I really feel this way. It wasn't t- the typical Twitter looking for attention and, and, and uh, retweets and likes, but I really admire Spencer Lee and Luke Garza, the, the humble nature. These guys have every right to be um, full of themselves, look at me. You don't see either one of these guys on social media, pimping themselves or Mm -hmm. promoting themselves. And when you talk to them, they talk about their teammates and they talk about their coaches and they talk to talk about, you know, the help that they've had, their families, the help they've had along the way to get to this point. Yeah. And it's, it's really just admirable. And, and, and I respect the heck out of it in this day and age where everybody, I say everybody, a lot of people are about self-promotion and look at me. These are two guys that would rather people look at somebody else than look at them. They just want to do their thing and uh, have worked incredibly hard. I think that's something that gets lost that, you know, these guys have natural gifts, but they've maximized it by ho- working really hard to get to where they are now, to, to strive for greatness. And uh, to me, that's, it's one of the most special parts of getting a chance to cover these guys is that, um They are so humble, and, and I think it's a great lesson. So many younger people look up to them and, and it 's just a great example of you don't have to be full of yourself and be self self promoting um, you can do this and and just share it with other people and, and not it be about yourself yeah and that's that's what's
0: great to see. The, the, the way that they compete and prepare and the way they act in public is really enduring. And, you know, just kind of lumping those three great athletes together, Gustafson.
1: Yeah, uh, Megan was our, the same way. She was, without question, always deflected to teammates yeah. and coaches and family. And to see, especially with
0: Megan, all of the girls, you know, ages, and it almost gives me goosebumps thinking about it, you know, that it does actually, uh, you know, eight year olds to early teenagers that would show up to basketball games or anywhere she would be wearing headbands because she did. And they want they just wanted to be like her so much. And the way she carried herself, the humble nature and the friendliness and, and the willingness to, to stand there. For lines and lines and lines and sign autographs and and in a non-COVID year, you know Luca Garza would be the same way. And then to see Spencer Lee and just the the energizing, energetic nature of him and and uh, his uh, you know inter, you know <laughs> idiosyncrasies, but also you know before COVID when he's standing there with Tristan Wirfs, you know you've got the starting right tackle for the Super Bowl champions now, but you know, here's this Hulk of a man and somebody who weighs a third of what he weighs and stands about half his size and there they are together and they're just, you know, admirers of one another. So, uh, I think Iowa, Iowa's right in celebrating all of them. And, uh, it's just unfortunate that that this comes on the back of other people who should be celebrated in a different way and weren't,
1: you know, Yeah, and I think you saw just the genuine nature of Luca Garza on Sunday when he was surprised with the news that his number would be retired. And just the emotion, just the raw emotion on his face. And it's genuine what Iowa means to him and what the program means to him and his teammates and his family and his coaches. And – yeah, it's a shame that there wasn't a full arena because he was yeah. able to compose himself. I don't know if he would have been able to do that with 15K mm-hmm. freaking out, which would have happened during that, that ceremony. Um, but, you know, it, there's going to come a time where he comes back when that jersey, that number is raised to the rafters and there's a full house. And that's going to be special for him and, and very deserved. Yeah, and it'll be exciting to see it because
0: he deserves it. You know, I just remember Megan's ceremony mm-hmm. and just how moved she was, and just couldn't believe it. Um, and he's going to be the same way. And and it was just it was fascinating to watch Luca, you know, in that post game because he was just kind of ready to go off, <laughs> <and> leave the <laughs> locker room against Wisconsin, and then Fran's like, "Hey, stay." you know, and then he kind of whispers in his ear and all of a sudden he just, his head drops into his hands and then Gary Barta, you know, announces that and, and then Luca's got to try to talk and he can't really do it very well. And, and uh, twice, you know, he really teared up, you know, when he was talking about Fran and talking about his family, you know, his, his mom and his sister had, he'd seen him now for the first time since August. I mean, that was really important to him. Uh, so I think once, Hopefully next year, um, you know, unless he's playing overseas or, you know, you know, find a little gap in the NBA schedule if he's with an NBA team, and, and then try to get him on there.
1: You talked about uh, you talked about Megan Gustafson Scott, um, and uh, big shoes to fill when somebody like that leaves the program. And uh, I don't think you could say Monica Sonano is Megan Gustafson, but man, she ain't bad. She dropped 38 on Purdue last night in Iowa, getting a victory and moving on today to play Rutgers and see Vivian Stringer. I love these storylines. So um, I think Rutgers is ranked 19th maybe in the country. Um, So Iowa's up against it. But um, Caitlin Clark, the Big Ten freshman of the year, first team all Big Ten along with Cezano. Was a little off last night. Her shot wasn't falling as well, but she figured out early that, hey, I need to get the ball to the big kid and let her score. (laughs) And and Monica did the work, and uh, it was a good win. It was a game that was close probably for three quarters, and then Iowa pulled away in the fourth quarter. Um, And that's a good win. You look at this team, Scott, they start a freshman, three sophomores, and a junior. Um, Mm -hmm. And nobody in the rotation is uh, a senior. So this is – this was a rebuilding year for Iowa after losing Gustafson and then losing Kathleen Doyle, the two right. big 10 players of the year, the last two years. And that I think shows you where Lisa has this program that in a re- quote unquote rebuilding year, it's mm-hmm. almost like a reloading year. And Iowa will be back in the NCAA tournament, no matter what happens tonight.
0: Man, you think about the last 10 years and the – High, high, high level of play that they've received from individuals that are – and then they, they just switch. They switched styles almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kasheen Alexander, and then you had, uh, you know, uh, the point guard, uh, Samantha Logic, and you had Allie Disterhoff, and then, you know, then Megan Gustafson and Kathleen Doyle and Caitlin Clark, and they're all different. And then they adapt offensively. They adapt to the style of the player that that six that's so good. And and um, you know in particular, Logic and Gustafson Doyle and and now Clark are just perennial all Big Ten type players and um, different. You know, and Mr. Hoff was too, uh, but you know so different, but yet. You know the success isn't, and that's to, that's a credit to Lisa. That's a credit to Jan Jensen, of course, who I think is you know we I think people who understand the sport and understand her, and that it, it's she's almost more of a co-head coach in some ways. Um, and incredible at developing talent in the post. I mean, you, every
1: year Iowa has somebody who produces
0: down right. low. You're right. You know, uh, you know, from Morgan Johnson to you know, to Susano, to, of course, Megan Gustafson. And uh, it's just – it's really remarkable to see that program just continue to operate at a – you know, they're still going to – they're going to get in the NCAA tournament. Even at a year like this where your primary scorer is a freshman, nobody would have blinked in some ways if they would have dropped off to an NIT or something like that, especially a year where you're playing primarily – uh, big 10 competition instead yeah. there they are you know they're sixth in the big 10 and and they've got a bright future this year they're gonna you know i i think the expectation i have for them is they're gonna be somewhere around a you know eight nine seed probably yeah but,
1: i think they anywhere seven to nine depending on how things shake out in this tournament and uh, yeah no yeah, they beat iowa state too right so, you know, they'll win a game and
0: probably lose a game in the mm-hmm. tournament. Nothing wrong with that, with that, this type of team. And then, you know, they come back next year and compete for the Big Ten title. You know, they do have to get a little bit better on defense.
1: <laughs> We've spent a yeah. lot of time on the men's defense over the, you know, years. And so, I will give some of that – I'll attribute some of that to youth mm-hmm. and just getting used to playing together. Because similar to the men, it's not, it's not a group that's especially gifted – naturally in terms of you know individual defenders it it has to like the men as Fran would say be connected on that end of the floor understand rotations things like that and this team just it breaks down too often in that area but you're right defense is definitely the area that needs to improve. Yeah, I watched part of that Maryland game
0: in the yeah. afternoon a few weeks ago, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, if this was if this was a men's game, can you imagine Twitter at uh, that one?" But like the but, NBA
1: All Star game.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was something else. Yeah. But but you know, I'll give them credit too; they hit those shots. They hit the you know the threes from the outside. Was it Vincent? Mm-hmm. I think her name was. And yeah. Was like, oh my God, that was so st- <laughs> I don't think she does that in the gym by herself, but and Maryland's um, loaded. Brenda yeah. Fries has just done an incredible job with that program. Yeah, she has. And, there, you know, she was Coach of the Year, and rightly so. And, you know, there's there been some backlash here locally that Caitlin Clark didn't win Big Ten uh, Player of the Year that Naz Hillman did from Michigan. And, you know um, – I don't have a problem with that, even though she led the league in scoring and assists, which is normally you'd say that's a no-brainer. But Hillman was right behind her in scoring and led in rebounding, and, and Michigan was a better team. So yep. I think you just kind of say, you know, you got you to gotta give that up. But that said, <laughs> that, that almost became a 4 for Iowa winning that mm-hmm. crown. And uh, there's not to say that Caitlin Clark's not going to win it a couple of times here and going forward.
1: Yeah, and she was first-team All-Big Ten unanimous. Yeah, uh, Susano also first-team All-Big Ten. Uh, I think Kate Martin was the sportsmanship winner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good season. Sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament again during the rebuilding year. And, uh, yeah, the future looks great for that program. They bring in three solid recruits in this class. And uh, we'll talk more about that down the road just in terms of what the men's and women's teams are going to look like next winter in wrestling once we get through yeah. this season. But I um, noticed you had some uh, – you had a, a Mike Mizlinski story on The Athletic today, yeah. Scott, um, about him being the next – you know, the potential to be the next in line uh, of a, uh, a strong history at the center position for Iowa. Um, what would you find? What would you learn, now, learn about Mike during, during uh, your research?
0: Yeah, he's, uh, he's really a fascinating young man, uh, you know, in watching him compete, you know, huddle, film, and otherwise, mm-hmm. he just looks just like Tyler Linderbaum to me. And part of his, and why he fits in so well with Iowa is, you know, he's got a similar frame. He's not a gigantic, you know, 320-pounder or anything right. like that. He's built himself naturally because his father, Tom Maslinsky who, Maslinsky, who also played nine years in the NFL – was with the Jacksonville Jaguars as their strength coach until uh, a couple weeks ago, Uh, you know, built him the right way, built him kind of the way Iowa tries to, you know, just kind of a, you know, gradually over time and and put on good weight. and, And he's like, well, you know, early in the recruiting process, he was about 250, 255 pounds and was just, you know, gradually kind of climbing that, that, uh, uh, level and and then he was a two-star and but then watching his video i'm like how is this kid at two-star um uh, and then well when he got bigger and of course got more offers that went up
1: it's kind of uh, a weird thing too scott that for some reason there's not there's less value on a guy who projects to play center at the next level when in terms of scouting high school players i don't necessarily understand that because it's such a vital position yeah I mean, you'd say at Iowa, center and left
0: tackle are probably 1A, 1B, and for Ferentz anyway. Right. Other, other places don't put that value on it, but at Iowa they certainly do. And But, you know, we went over the whole situation with Texas and uh, wh- and how Iowa really stayed involved. And that was part of my story was um, most times, you, you know, you've covered this a lot longer than I have and more in depth, that if I was involved in somebody in Jacksonville, Florida, and they picked Texas, all right, pack our bags, you know, good luck in the future and move on. Well, he said that, you know, he was picking Texas, but he told the Iowa coaches, look, I really like you guys too. And so stay, let's stay in touch. And so Iowa did, which is again, in my experience anyway, kind of unusual. And then, He said he recorded every Texas and Iowa game through the fall, and the more and more he watched Iowa and watched Linderbaum, he's like, wow, I can really see myself playing for this team and this system, and when it came down to it, he just said, you know, said, I I thought about it for a long time. It was really stressful, but I just, I needed to, to decommit, and then he looked at, of course, the three schools which we're all aware of: Michigan State, Maryland, and Iowa, because his dad had real close ties to Mel Tucker at Michigan and State, and um, and at Maryland, you know, of course. And um, but he said he just kept coming back to Iowa, the style of play, and the conversations he had, and, and that sort of thing, and it really. It made sense for him. And so that's why he decided to take that step. And, and even talking to his high school coach, uh, Tim Krause from Bishop Kenny, he's like, you know, we had a lot of programs come in and say, you're our guy, you could start next year. But he kind of liked the fact that he could develop at Iowa behind a high level player ask questions, learn. And and some of his approach growing up, which was, you know, going from 255 to 290 in healthy fashion, it re- requires discipline and development. And that's kind of where he is right now with, uh, you know, how his approach is. So, you know, basically what Iowa told him, you know, Tim Polisak, of course, who's now at Wyoming, was, look, we've got a guy, but we want you to be the, the next guy. So, Come in for a year, learn under him, and then move on. And you know, and that's probably a good thing for Iowa when you think about it, because Linderbaum, you know, he's probably got this year, and then he'll be an NFL guy. Um, they probably don't even need um, Slinsky to be a second teamer, because you got somebody like Kyler Schott who can move slide over and play center. So he can learn, grow, probably play scout team, learn the Iowa system, and then in a year in 2022. Maybe he steps in as a freshman, and he's a three- to
1: four-year starter. Yeah, and as we've we've seen, Scott, Iowa's not afraid to play younger players at that Mm -hmm. position. James Daniels, Linderbaum, uh, Austin Blythe kind of bounced around a little bit between guard and center, but he was also out there at a young age. Um, You know, Iowa really doesn't have, uh, you know – not I was not against playing younger players on the offensive line. Alaric Jackson played four yeah. years. Tristan Wurst plays a true freshman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Welsh. I mean, right. If you prove and show that you can play, you'll be in there. So he'll have a great opportunity this fall to learn behind Linderbaum and then show that he is capable of stepping in. If that's if that's you know the way it goes.
0: It's fascinating to see what's going to happen. You know, I mean, practice starts in you know, two and a half weeks. It'll start the Monday of the final week of the month. And uh, with Mark Kallenberger's retirement, you know, what's going to happen? How's that going to accelerate the the growth process for some younger players? Jack Plum now goes from probable starter to, to likely starter um, at one of the tackle spots. What does that mean for Cody Ints? And talking to Tim Polisek after he left, he's like, I think he could play you know, pretty much any position on the line, and he is tall. He's you know mm-hmm. six four, six five. So you know, maybe it's plummet left tackle, maybe it's insert right tackle. Justin Britt starts. Uh, you know, Kyler Shot. Then they're pretty secure. But then you've got you know the two guys that are already on campus who are big, physical guys, and and Iowa loves to rotate their young players at a guard spot and yep. get them snaps. And we you know you mentioned Austin Blythe. That was his way. It was Brandon Sheriff. Yep. Same thing. Just get him in, get him acclimated, get him some some snaps, you know, a couple of series a game. So I could see Connor Colby and uh, David, David Koff possibly kind of getting in there. Uh, a walk-on, Nick DeYoung is a guy that they really like. Uh, I still, I'm still surprised he never took a scholarship anywhere. You know, he was just... Yeah, Pella. He was just too good of an athlete. So, but it, anyway, um so I could I think Bislinski probably slated to be that, you know, scout team guy this year. But come twenty twenty two, I think he'll be the guy at center or somebody like Justin Britt, who and if that's where he ends up, and maybe he then rotates at guard or something like that for a year until he
1: becomes the center. Yes, definitely a big spring, always, always spring's always important at Iowa when you're a developmental program, but really interesting on the offensive line. And we'll talk more about that moving forward, just kind of different pieces and candidates to fill in some of those roles as we get more information too, once they get into practice uh, and we get some feedback on how, how guys are looking. Um, Another piece you had this week at the Athletics, Scott, that I enjoyed was uh, the Kirk Ferentz milestones piece. Um, and, And for everybody that's out there listening, that doesn't have a subscription to The Athletic, I would highly recommend it, not only for uh, Scott's great work on coverage of Iowa, but just if you're a subscriber, you can get everything. I get to, you know, see the resurgence of my New York Knicks, um, you know, Met spring training stories to so get my hopes up for that, you know, by June or July I'll be disappointed again. Even But I enjoy the spring. Yeah. <laughs> right. Scott can, uh, read about his Bears yeah. uh, and his Cubs. Um, so yeah. <laughs> get uh, get your Athletic subscription. But I enjoyed this piece, Scott. Um, one one that jumped out at me right away, and, and this just kind of for uh, and you also had a piece about Iowa fans. Uh, I think this was last week. Iowa, fan, yeah. Iowa fans' inability to enjoy uh, what is happening, successes of their teams, mm, Yeah I, right. and I think this number feeds into that Um, 53 wins from 2015 to 2020 tied with Penn state for third most by any big 10 program over the last six year span only behind Ohio state's 68 and Wisconsin's 56. So Wisconsin has has three more victories uh, than Iowa and Penn state. So I, I, I mean, I don't know how else you look at that and say this hasn't been a successful stretch.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it, it. what's the only thing that's disappointing is just not getting over the hump in an individual, individual year.
1: Right.
0: You know, whether it was last year, it was 2018, which I do think that they kind of, they had, they could have been a better team in 2018. They yeah, could absolutely. have won a game or two. But, but that said to have that kind of number of wins, I thought that the program felt kind of sick from that four, 11 to 14 period where they just weren't, there wasn't a lot of talent. They were playing hard, but it just, it felt like it was just reaching, they had a very, very low ceiling. And it it wasn't, you know, I mean, the eight wins that had in 2013 was the high watermark. And we saw what happened in 14. And it was just like, but ever since then, this team, we've seen talent level grow immensely. I mean, they look at the number of players who've left early for the NFL. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: you know, or first-round picks. You know, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Tristan Wirfs, Epineza, You know, Geno Stone, which you could argue set probably shouldn't have left early, but you know, but all of those players and, and the impact that they've had, and Davion Nixon. It, it's just, it's really impressive. And and last year, I would argue by the end of the season, that was probably a team Ohio State didn't want to play. I'm not saying that Ohio State couldn't have beaten them, but I'm just saying that. They, were, they would have made it very tough on Ohio State to win the Big Ten title. So I think this was, you know, a great era. And then you look at over that span, they're 19-4 and four in trophy games. You know, only losses are to, to Wisconsin.
1: I mean, I think you take that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, without question. I think, the, you know, the, the hurdle that needs to be cleared, Scott, and you mentioned it, is winning more Big Ten West titles. In that six-year span, you have won, and it happened six years ago. Mm -hmm. So now that's the hurdle you have to get over because these things are about winning championships. You know, it's great to have success, but you want to put yourself in position to win championships. And Iowa's been in position, but they haven't won.
0: Right. You know, you think two years ago, and and this is just how close these games are, and, and they lose by two points at Wisconsin. Yep. They win that game. They go to the the championship game. Quarterback uh, sneak. Yep, quarterback sneak. You're half a yard away. <laughs> I mean, and it was a thunderous collision. I, I was mean, right
1: there shooting a photo, right, like perfectly, and, and I, it hurt. It hurt to hear and see that from field level. Yep. I was at the
0: other end zone, and I heard it. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was like a giant axe striking a big tree. It was just like. And, uh, but that's how close it was. I mean, and the score would have been tied with three minutes to go now Wisconsin very easily could have, you know, they did go the length of the field, but they did it in a different way than they would if the score was tied. I mean, they hit it on the ground and they hit some big runs, but you know, they're probably not going to do that if it's, uh, um, right. You know, three minutes, you know, then you're in a two minute drill with a different passing attack and maybe Iowa forces a punt and, and goes from there. So, that's how close they've been, but they didn't get there. And I would argue that Wisconsin was probably a little bit better than Iowa that year. Anyway, last year, I think Iowa was the best team in the West and um, a bad second half by the quarterback kept him from winning in the West. And so, uh, but, you know, some other things that I think were really fascinating to me to get into were, you know, some of the, some of the numbers offensively. You know, point differential per game at fifteen eight. That's that's a big deal. That's that means you're dominating. Uh, you know, the, the the competition. The offensive numbers, almost thirty two points per game, which was second best in the Big Ten, and the high water mark since two thousand two. They had zero games where they scored seventeen points or less. Um, you know, whereas in the previous what eight years that they averaged four point two games where they scored seventeen or less. You know, whatever people think of Brian Ferentz, and there's a lot of negativity there, um, you know, the, the numbers suggest differently. The numbers suggest he's done a really good job, at least he did last year, and the uh, an I mean, offense if you think
1: about it, if you, if you told people before the season Iowa was going to average that, the, you know, that amount of points. Yeah. And, but then you told them, but you're going to lose to Purdue and Northwestern. <laughs> they would have went, What? You know, and that's kind of what we have to reconcile here is Mm. consistency. Maybe not scoring, you know, maybe not Nate Stanley throwing five touchdowns at Indiana, maybe, you know, balancing that and being able to come out at at Wisconsin and not get yourself behind the eight ball, you Mm. know, and, and having to play catch up. So that's really the, again, it all, those are all kind of the, the, nuance and layers that go into clearing that hurdle of winning the Big Ten West.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And it's going to be the same next year. Yep. I
0: mean, you know, Northwestern, nobody thought that Northwestern would be there this year. But you know what? They've won it two out of the last three years, so you got to give them their respect. They're good.
1: And they're going to continue to be good
0: because they have a great coach. And
1: Wisconsin, I think if you ask people if they would trade Scott those 53 victories for winning the Big Ten West two out of the three year, last three years – I I think the answer is pretty easy. Yeah, I agree.
0: Uh, You look at Wisconsin, they're going to be back. Mm -hmm. They had some injury issues last year, late in the year, and Iowa took advantage of them. And Iowa was the better team last year, no question in my mind. And the score proved it. But they're going to be playing in a full Camp Randall Stadium in November, and it's going to be a fist fight just as it always is. And Iowa needs to be on the winning end of that. you know, so Wisconsin, and or I mean, uh, Minnesota and Nebraska and, and Illinois, I always had their numbers, but they're gunning for Iowa. So, you know, there's just a lot there um, that you're just going to have to deal with. But I think this team is well-positioned. It needs to do something. Uh, the defensive line either, A, it does have to grow no matter what, but take even more leaps forward than it did last year. But I would argue there probably needs another – Face, (laughs) unless the spring has shown a lot of growth, and then Spencer Petrus. That was the you hate to say it, but if you had Nate Stanley, they're they're playing in Indianapolis, and
1: no question in my mind. Yeah, and it's a you know, beating a dead horse, but the spring is important for every right aspect of the Iowa program, but really the quarterback position this spring, what happens with Spencer Petras, what type of development um, he can show. um, And then the guys behind him, Deuce Hogan and uh, Alex Padilla, you know, what kind of, you know, movement forward can they make? You know, I, I and we've talked about this before on the podcast, Scott, I think sometimes covering and following as a fan college sports we don't take into account enough that these guys do get better as their careers goes on, careers go on, or at least that's the idea that, and we've seen guys make Luca Garza yeah. from his sophomore year to last year. I mean, that's an extreme example, but guys get better. And that's, that's the thing we don't know. And we won't know until the fall about this Iowa team, you know, Nobody saw Davion Nixon coming last year. I mean, I think we all thought he'd be a good player, but not that. And that's what needs to happen. Those are the stories that need to happen. And it starts in a few weeks when they start spring ball.
0: Yeah, sure does. And, and Spencer Petrus, you know, last year he struggled. Can he take that step forward? Yes, he can. Yep. Uh, Willie, that's up to him. And that's up to the staff, you know, and likewise uh, I, you know, I, I think going into this, I would say the same, the parents would probably say the same thing. And he has, and that is it's his job to lose, but make sure everybody gets a fair crack at this too. You know, Alex Padilla and and Deuce Hogan in the spring. And then if there's no consensus uh, then maybe Joey Labus in the, in the summer, you know, I I think you got to give them that opportunity because, you know, Spencer struggled last year, and he got better. He, you know, he got better late, but he also had moments where
1: you're like, what are you doing? And yeah. He had a lot of them. And um, and I was also replacing Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith. Exactly.
0: And uh, Tyrone Tracy, I think, will be the uh, a really good player for them. I think Nico Regini has shown that he can make a lot of catches, and I think Sam Laporte is ready to elevate. But they're going to need – two more receivers. Can it be a Keegan Johnson or a Deontay Vines or Quayvon Matthews or Charlie Jones? You know, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of Des- Desmond Hudson. There are a lot of questions. And, you know, speaking of Brandon Smith, what a performance he did and had in Miami. Freak. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he's got his pro day coming up and, you know, he put, he took himself from probably being a free agent to being drafted yep. by what he showed. And, and uh, he's been written about now and discussed. So, um, you know, now what Pro Day brings will determine, you know, he'll finally have an opportunity to do that in front of pro scouts and, and pro personnel.
1: Yeah, looking forward to diving into more of that discussion as we move forward here, Scott, yeah. in terms of the NFL draft um, once we start to move through basketball season a little bit more. But we'll, we'll break that up too probably and talk about it on several podcasts moving forward. Um, An aspect that uh, we'll finish up with this numbers story, and again, people check this out on The Athletic, um, I think kind of can be an overlooked um, phase, special teams. I think, you know, putting LeVar Woods in charge of that phase several years ago and then figuring out how to make that a strength again has played such a vital role in this stretch of six years with the success. You know, you think about, you know, the issues at punter Mm -hmm. and, you know, fixing that and the consistency at place kicker and returns and coverage teams, all of those things have played, you know, I'm not going to say they're any more important than offense and defensive success, but they're just as important. Oh yeah, for sure.
0: I mean, you think about the unit they had, I mean, they were ranked number one nationally, you know, if I think of sports analytics had them as the number one team in the country in special teams. And you have a Keith Duncan, uh, who hit every surefire field goal, missed a few longer ones. Tory Taylor, who was a weapon last year. Holy cow. Um, and you know, I mean, his, you know, his, his average per punt was twenty was forty four one, but his net yards was forty two five. So teams are returning on average one point six yards
1: per return. That's nothing. Um, and you can't yeah. under, I mean, you can't undervalue what that means to defense to your oh, defense. Yeah. It's one more, and,
0: and the, those yards that's like giving your defense one extra first down, right. And just on the flip side of that, Charlie Jones averaging ten point five yards per punt return gives your offense one more first down. So per you know when you're talking about a a defense as good as Iowa's, and Iowa was one of the top four or five in the country last year, and in some categories the number one, you make a team go seventy yards instead of sixty. That's massive. It's huge. They got having to put out fires. There right. are no fires. There are no, no fires. Very few very few fires. You're sitting around the firehouse, going, <laughs> "When's the fire going to come? <laughs> let's get after it." Uh, you know, and likewise with Charlie Jones, with a young quarterback, and right. if you can start it, like, let's see, here's the percentage that 49 of percent of their drives started at the 30 yard beyond the 30 yard line, which is what led to them being the number one team. I mean, half their drives are. 70 yards so – and closer than 70 yards to the end zone. That's unbelievable. That's that's incredible. Uh, other teams – I think it was – Texas Tech was the worst, and it was like 70% were not – were in, behind the 30-yard line. Mm-hmm. So that's everything. And and then you look at Amir Smith-Marcetti. He didn't have a great year per se, but he's second all-time in career kickoff returns. You know, it's And teams avoided of, him
1: last year. He was mm-hmm. – he was a known commodity at that point.
0: If he would have gotten – you think back, I don't know if you remember this, at Nebraska his freshman year, and he had a touchdown, but it got called back yeah. because Geno Stone had a block yeah. in the back of the 12-yard line yep. behind him. If he would have had those extra 12 yards, he'd be number one. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's cruel. Yeah. I mean, that's – he would have had a touchdown first, and then he would have had, uh,
1: <laughs> number one all time you know hopefully but, Gino takes him out for dinner or something like that I
0: know I compensate him for for costing I, him that I uh I let LeVar know I said well he probably owes him since they were roommates anyway so. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know all these numbers are great but as you said it really comes down to 21 to 20 last year if they if it had been the other way around you know, if they would have uh, – even the, la- the last interception or the second-to-last interception that was inside Northwestern's 30-yard line, if you just – if he drops it, they kick a field goal, maybe they win 23-21, and then they're in Indianapolis, and maybe they're in, at worst, the Citrus Bowl, but probably probably they erase Iowa State from the Fiesta. Right. <laughs> the trickle-down
1: effect <laughs> is pretty massive. So. Yeah. When you, know, and you think about doing. it, Scott, and you talked about this, I, I think Brian Ferencz is, is a good offensive coordinator. I think he's evolving uh, as time goes along. But he can't have those games in critical – he can't have the Northwestern game last year. Yeah. He can't have the Wisconsin game. You know, those are the games yeah. where that make or break – I don't say break your season because Iowa still has been good the last few years – but to get to where you want to get to, you yeah. can't have those those games. You can't have those hiccups. You just – you have to be more consistent.
0: Yeah. You can have – you know, you have the Ohio State game in 17, which was a brilliantly called game. Right. Or the Or the USC game in right. the Holiday Bowl, which was brilliantly called. I mean, it was strategic a mastery, you
1: know, of what went on. But then, I, I mean, I – I, I, I really like the Minnesota game yeah. back in 2019. Right. You know, the, 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 the
0: pitch play right. where he was, he was in 22 personnel. They always run that play, misdirection, pitch, boom, 25-yard run by, by Tyler Goodson this year. You know, and for the most part this year, they leaned on their heavy dose of, of you know, uh, of the running game, which was really essential to why they were great for the most part mm-hmm. throughout the season. What they needed to do in the Northwestern game, you know, is you probably should look back and cringe. Say, I put too much on this kid at this yep. given time. The Michigan game in uh, 2019. Yep. That's a that's a Ferrets ball game. You just punt and you try to move back and forth, force them to make a mistake, capitalize and win thirteen to ten. Instead of throwing, I think it was their final twenty-one plays they threw. You know, you just you get, you're, you're only down a touchdown. Let's run the ball. You yeah. know, and, and then it's the Wisconsin game was the worst, which he acknowledges, you know, that in 17, that was just a – that was yeah. the opposite of mastery. In a, in a two-week period, he had the greatest called game and the worst called game, you know, in 17, uh, Ohio
1: State like, and Wisconsin. Thankfully, Josh Jackson yeah. <laughs> showed up for that game or it would have been uglier.
0: Yeah. And they, they <laughs> almost had a chance. You remember, yeah. I think they were, they were down – 17-14, midway through the third quarter, even by doing nothing. And then there was a, a long go route that uh, – I think it was a go – that Noah Fant ran and it bounced off his hands. Otherwise, he might have scored on that play and they could have been leading. Instead, then the very next play, I think Stanley gets sacked, fumbles, they scoop, score, and then it's off to the races the other way. So,
1: Yeah, it's those, those two teams, Scott. Right now, I think they've got Minnesota figured out, but Northwestern and Wisconsin. Yeah. What's the game plan going in and executing that game plan? And uh, those will be the keys this fall because I would expect Wisconsin and Northwestern with another transfer quarterback mm-hmm. uh, to be right there with Iowa. So,
0: yeah. Um, They're both road games
1: for Iowa, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it's good to talk football, and we'll talk more about that, obviously, as the spring goes on here. What else you got coming up on the athletics, Scott, that you want to uh, promote here? I know you talked about the Spencer Lee story uh, coming up soon.
0: Yeah, I'm going to write about Spencer Lee coming up uh, next week. It's kind of a, you know, one of our, what we call an A1 package. I guess it'd be the equivalent of being an old newspaper guy that, you, you, you know, this is a story that goes to our A1 and because we don't really have like a wrestling vertical or anything, but we do have, we, we do want to showcase some good stories. So uh, yeah, I'm going to write Spencer Lee for next week. Uh, I think next Thursday as a um, feature. And so it, that's, that's a little different <laughs> than what I've written for the most part. Uh, and then uh I'm going to sit Friday night with uh, Bobby and Dolph at Kinnick stadium and watch uh, the, the tournament. So um, that's going to be different as well. Cause I'm not going to go to Indianapolis. Uh, you're not either. Are you?
1: I am not. And for those that don't know, what Scott's referencing here um, the big 10 tournament is not allowing uh, the Hawkeye broadcast team to go to Lucas oil to cover this tournament. So Gary Dolphin and Bobby Hansen will be watching the game from Kinnick Stadium tomorrow night and broadcasting from there. So if you're listening to them on the radio, that's what you'll be hearing. And Scott's going to go and observe that and then write about it.
0: Yeah, so that, and that should be different and interesting. And, you know, if it's the third time with uh, Wisconsin, you should see a pretty spirited game and, and who knows, maybe Iowa gets to Saturday for the first time since 2006 in that tournament. And then, oh, by the way, there's your friends from Illinois <laughs> probably. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, how interesting that could be.
1: And you should bring Sparkle with you over to Kinnick tomorrow night. I mean, he's been there all season. Yes. He, um, you know, he probably deserves the chance to go over to Kinnick and watch that tomorrow night. And maybe, he, maybe they can put him on the air and he can, uh, he can add his thoughts on, on what's going on tomorrow night's game.
0: Yeah, if there's wet cat food, he's probably in, so (laughs) (laughs) that's his uh, main goal in life is the sunshine uh, coming through the window and uh, laying there in it, and and of course, getting wet cat food at the end twice a day, unfortunately, because he has diabetes,
1: so (laughs) So he has shots,
0: and, and, uh, okay, here's your wet cat food, too, so.
1: Well, (laughs) yeah, um, but good season for Sparkle uh, Mm -hmm. over at uh, got to. Got to see some historic moments over there at Carver Hawkeye Arena. Um, And uh, (laughs) we will uh, look forward to reading those stories on the athletics, Scott. And uh, you and I will be witnessing and, and monitoring what's going on with basketball the rest of this weekend. And we'll come back next weekend and we can preview the NCAA tournament. We'll be at the first full day of that. Uh, wrestling going on next week, closer to spring football. We'll have a ton of talk about next week. Um, maybe and, and hopefully there won't be any drama uh, yeah. as we, we had this, Just never a dull moment around here, but hopefully we're, we're focused just on the uh, competition next, next Thursday.
0: Yeah, hopefully that's the only storyline, but you never know And things pop up over time that you're just like, oh, here we go, <laughs> you know, be ready to be ready to pivot. So yeah, hopefully it's just about the hoop and, and the wrestling and, uh, you know, at least for a week or two.
1: Yep. And we will be back, uh, next Thursday to talk about that and, uh, we can, uh, I don't know, are you, gonna, are you going all out on St. Paddy's Day this year, or, or can I count on you to be at full strength next week?
0: Yeah, I, I, even if I'm hungover, which, uh, you know, it's, a, it's probably more in the 2% category <laughs> that's the case now. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be ready on Wednesday for that. No, I think the most interesting St. Paddy's Day I've had in a little while was uh, the year that Iowa played in Brooklyn um, yeah. in sixteen. And uh so I flew there. I wanna I wanna say I flew there maybe it was on St. Paddy's Day, it was either sixteenth or the seventeenth and uh went out in Manhattan on St. Paddy's Day. But
1: I've done that before. That's uh that's an experience. That should be a bucket list for people and uh yeah, that was an interesting trip. I had my hotel out in Brooklyn was like it was in like an it was almost like an apartment building. I got it was last uh, probably eight to 10 blocks from, uh, Barclays. So it was an easy walk, reasonably priced, but just, it was like a closet, man. <laughs> it was wow. of a closet in an apartment building. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was good to get back there. And then we took the train over into, uh, Manhattan for the wrestling and, uh, man, I look forward to getting back to those days where we can do those things again. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, I look forward to, you know, hey, this fall, let's uh, let's drive together to Wisconsin or something like that, yeah. you know, to go to a game like that, and, you know, or carpool to, to Nebraska or someplace, you know, just because even the, the trips this year were, were long and boring because you're afraid to – I mean, I went with Mike Coloss to the Iowa State. I think it was Iowa State-Oklahoma game. Uh, Before the Big Ten hopped on and we both wore masks the whole way over there and the whole way back. And it was just like, ah, this is, you know, terrible. So hopefully we can get to a position where we don't even do that. We're just uh, enjoying the coverage, you know, from a a normal perspective.
1: Yes, without question, I will. But the next step is enjoying the competition that's going to happen this month that we missed out on last year. And Scott and I will be back next Thursday to talk about that, thankfully. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Scott, for joining us to check out his work at The, at the Athletic once again. Um, say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.